Our reading today is Psalm 110 of David, a psalm. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion, saying, rule in the midst of your enemies. Your troops will be willing on your day of battle, arrayed in holy splendor. Your young men will come to you like dew from the morning's womb. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will crush kings on the day of his wrath. He will judge nations, heaping up the dead and crushing the rulers of the whole earth. He will drink from a brook along the way, and so he will lift his head high. This is God's word. Good morning, everyone. My name's Scott. I'm the assistant minister here, one of the assistant ministers uh, here. Let me pray uh, for us as we come and look at this wonderful psalm uh, together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you that the Lord Jesus is everything that we need. And he is our great king. He is our priest forever. Father, as we look at this wonderful picture of his reign and rule together, please, uh, please show us more of him. Please expand our view of him that we might um, rejoice uh, to live under his kingship. We pray in, in his precious name. Amen. I wonder um, what your view of Jesus is uh, this morning. Is he uh, the mighty king who rules over all? Uh, or uh, is he something else? Is he just a friend, a good mate? If, um, if Jesus walked through uh, the front door, don't know why he would, um, he'd probably just appear. Um, if he walked through the front door, how, how would you greet him? What would your response be? Would you, would you fall to the ground, um, cover your face? Would you run towards him, or would you run from him? Should we fear Jesus or love him? The psalm we're looking at this morning, Psalm 110, um, it's, it's always been understood, almost since it was first written, to be about the coming Messiah, and the one who would rescue God's people. And so, um, quite obviously, Psalm 110 is all about uh, the Lord Jesus. That, that's true of all of the Old Testament, um, but it is especially so, most obviously so, in this psalm, maybe more than anywhere else in the whole Old Testament. This, uh, this psalm is, is quoted more in the New Testament than any other passage of Scripture. It is all about the Lord Jesus. He is the king and the priest of Psalm 110. He is the mighty king who is to be feared, revered, and served. And he is also the eternal priest of verse 4. He is the one who brings us to God, who serves us by laying down his life for us. So as we look at it this morning, I, I want all of us to go away with, with a greater sense of awe and wonder at the Lord Jesus, at all that he is, at all that he achieves for us. Um, if, 
I guess some of us will come this morning feeling pretty weary, um, despite maybe a break over the summer. If you're feeling weary this morning, well then I hope looking at Psalm 110 will strengthen you to keep going, knowing that this is the mighty king that we serve. Um, Others of us will be coming um, fearful this morning, fearful of what the new new term, the new year will bring, what the future will bring. Well, if that's you, then Psalm 110 will assure us that Jesus is is the priest forever who will never let us down, who is always there for us. We're going to have uh, two very simple points as we look at at Psalm 110. They're on your service order, if you'd find that helpful uh, to follow. They are simply that the Lord's mighty king will defeat his enemies, and the Lord's eternal priest will bring people to God. We've already said that these are are clearly both about the Lord Jesus. The whole psalm is about the Lord Jesus. But just just as we begin uh, to look at it, I want us to to just um, forget that we know it's about Jesus just for a moment And imagine hearing this as an Old Testament believer. Um, The the title of the psalm tells us this is a psalm of David. He wrote it. David, of course, is the great king of Israel, uh, the greatest king. And yet even this great king knows that there is one to come who will be better than him. Look down again at at verse 1, how the psalm starts. Verse 1, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand. It's worth just pausing on on that first line. The Lord says to my Lord, what's going on there? Um, Why do two people seem to have the same uh, same name? Um, This is one of those instances where you need to look nice and closely at the font. Um, It's an exciting, exciting thing to do. It is a detail, but it's an important detail. Just look down at it again. Uh, You'll see the Lord, the first time, is in sort of small capital letters. That Lord is is Yahweh. That is the, the... God himself, God's personal name, the Lord. So every time we see that in the psalm, verse 1, verse 2, verse 4, that's God Almighty, God himself. But then you see the second Lord of verse psalm. The Lord says to my Lord, that second Lord is in just normal letters, isn't it? Lowercase letters. That's just the word that means master, uh, Lord in that sense, someone who has authority, Uh, over others. So verse one, this whole psalm is the Lord Yahweh speaks to David's Lord, David's master. So who is this master of David? Who is above David? Well, we will see the two things. The Lord's mighty king will defeat his enemies. This master is the Lord's mighty king. Let me read again from verse one. The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion, saying, Rule in the midst of your enemies. We learn um, a few things about this king in verse 1. Firstly, um, the the king amazingly is is invited to sit at the right hand of God himself. Um, The right hand, the the position of authority, um, the, the closest uh, advisor, the one who is sent uh, to do uh, the Lord's bidding. Seated there is this king. David's master is, is not just a messenger. Uh, he's not just a messenger who will 
uh, do the Lord's bidding. He is, in fact, he will, in fact, rule with God. The king rules, and he will rule victoriously. And his enemies don't stand a chance, do they? Right from the beginning, verse 1, they will suffer the humiliating sign of, of being a footstool for this king's feet. Literally laid out in front of him as a prop. This king will rule from Zion, that's, that's Jerusalem. But his kingdom is not limited uh, to one small co- corner of the world. Uh, it extends because Yahweh, the Lord, will extend it. He will, even, he will even rule, Sam tells us, in the midst of his enemies. Even those who don't want this king to be king have no choice but to submit to his rule. don't know how many of you have caught the new Lion King film. Um, uh, Sharon and I went to see it uh, this week. I highly recommend it. I was a big fan of the first one. I think it does a good job. Um, but, but as I watched it, the, the authority of, of Mufasa, uh, the, the, the first king in the Lion King, it reminded me of, of this king in Psalm 110, an authority that, that extends beyond even uh, his subjects. So you get the hyenas who are chasing after um, Simba and Nala. And even though they wander into hyena territory, enemy territory, well, when Mufasa comes uh, to save them, the hyenas melt away. There's nothing they can do in the face of authority like that of the king. Well, here in Psalm 110, the king's authority is total. It stretches beyond even uh, the borders of his kingdom. This king doesn't do it on his own. He's, he's got a mighty army. Look down again at verse three. Your troops will be willing on your day of battle, arrayed in splendor. Your young men will come to you like dew from the morning's womb. This, um, this army that comes with the king, it, it, it's no band of mercenaries uh, just doing it for, for the money. No, this is a well-drilled unit who love their king, who long to serve him. They're willing to fight. And they're pretty intimidating, a marvel to behold, arrayed in holy splendor. And the picture is, is young men like Jew, one of freshness, vigor, uh, never tiring. That is the, the army that this king will come with. It's frightening, isn't it? And it does not get better uh, for the king's enemies from verse 5. Not only will the, his enemies be ruled by this king, they will be judged by this king too. Look down at verse 5. The Lord is at your right hand. He will crush kings on the day of his wrath. He will judge the nations heaping up the dead and crushing the rulers of the whole earth. He will drink from a brook along the way and so he will lift his head high. Those verses are a pretty sobering picture of the authority this king has, the total defeat of his enemies, crushed, judged, and their bodies heaped up in a pile. There is no escape if you're an enemy of this king. There are no safe places to hide. The rulers of the whole earth come under his judgment. 
picture there in verse 7 is a slightly strange one, but I think it is one of, of a king who is totally in control. So in control, he has time to, to stop for a refreshing drink at a stream before pressing on to victory. As we read that, as we, as we hear that, as we dwell on that, it, it, it is a terrifying prospect, actually, a king like that, is it not? If you're an enemy of that king, well, that is truly frightening. It will not end well for this king's enemies. He comes with God's authority, with a powerful army, to judge his enemies. I guess it's not surprising if this was the picture of the king who was to come, that when Old Testament Israel were looking for their Messiah, for their rescuer, they were looking for a military leader, one who would come and wipe away the enemies. Is, is this picture that we get of this king, is it all a bit violent? Is it all a bit much? Is David mistaken to think that the king who will come after him will rule in this way? Much as we might um, want to say that, like to say that, the New Testament doesn't allow us to do that at all. Jesus himself and the New Testament in general, they know that this psalm is all about Jesus. They make that very clear. Jesus is the king of Psalm 110. Let me read a little bit from uh, Matthew 22. Uh, Towards the end of the gospel, um, Jesus is having interaction with the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, the people who know their Bibles uh, well. And he says this, verse 42 of Matthew 22. What do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? The son of David, they replied. Jesus said to them, how is it then that David, speaking by the Spirit, calls him Lord? For he says... Here he quotes our psalm. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. And Jesus concludes, if then David called him Lord, how can he be his son? No one could say a word in reply, and from that day on, no one dared to ask him any more questions. See, Jesus himself understands that he is the king of Psalm 110, a king that is even greater than King David. It's not just Jesus later on in the New Testament, Acts chapter 2, the first sermon that was preached uh, after the giving of the Holy Spirit. Peter stands up and says, Jesus has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And Peter concludes, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Jesus is the king of Psalm 110. He is the Lord and Messiah. He is the one who sits at God's right hand with all authority. He is the one who will come with that authority and bring his rule over the whole earth. He is the one who will come to judge his enemies. I don't know how that, um, how that sits with us this morning uh, as we think about that. We, um, we love talking about Jesus, don't we, as our, as our friend, as our savior. 
as one who will draw alongside us. And he is all of those things, but he is also the mighty king of Psalm 110. That is why the, the call to trust in him is so urgent. Becoming a Christian, it's not a lifestyle choice, like I don't know, cutting out meat or going carbon neutral. It is much, much more than a lifestyle choice. It is submitting to the one who rules the whole earth. It is submitting to the one who will come in judgment on his enemies. And so please, if you're here this morning and you're not yet trusting in Jesus, do you see from Psalm 110 just quite how serious that is? You need to be on his side when he comes. If you are a Christian, I want to suggest this psalm shouldn't make us feel uncomfortable. It should actually make us feel secure. Secure in knowing that this king is the king that we serve. See, no matter, no matter what circumstances life um, throws at you, uh, no matter what battles are raging in your life at the minute, this king is your king if you trust in him. If you're just weary, worn out, and wondering if, it, if it's worth keeping going uh, with Jesus at all, this is the king you serve, the king who rules in glory and who will judge. Part of the reason I, I think that we often feel uncomfortable as we read um, pictures like this of, of Jesus is we almost can't imagine a king like this who isn't a, a complete tyrant. I guess that's what, that's what lots of people think of God, isn't it? That, that he's, just, he's just a tyrant. He just wants people to do what he wants to do and he'll, he'll, he'll do it by any means possible. Well, I guess, I guess that, that would be true if, if this were a human leader only. Any human leader with this sort of authority would, twisted by sin and by their own selfishness, would be a, a terrifying prospect. I guess you might submit to a, a human king like that out of, out of fear, um, out of self-preservation, but you probably wouldn't do it gladly, willingly, joyfully. The king of Psalm 110 is different uh, to any human king, to any human leader. He is the mighty king, but he is no tyrant. We get, we get a, glint, a glimpse of it in the psalm. You'll have, you'll have noticed if you're paying attention that we've skipped over uh, verse four, uh, right at the heart of the psalm. Verse four is incredibly surprising. because It tells us that this mighty king, the one who is has all authority, is also an eternal priest tasked with bringing people to God. Look at verse four again. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Verse four just, it, it, it seems totally out of odds with the whole rest of the psalm, isn't it? It comes as such a surprise 
that, um, that God sort of needs to underline it twice and put it in bold, uh, if you like. And he states it as, as swearing an oath. And as if that wasn't enough, he confirms, I will not change my mind. Speaking to that same king, that same Lord who rules, he says, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. This king, this mighty king, is also a priest. I don't know what kind of picture we have of, of a priest. We might think um, the vicar of Dibley. We might think Father Ted of a certain generation. Um, uh, don't think that. Uh, don't think uh, Father Ted. The priests in the Old Testament, well, they had the job of, of serving in the temple. Um, the priests were, were those who represented the people before God and who brought the people into God's presence as they made their offerings. And they were a bit like, like, like the mediator, the go-between between God and the ordinary people. The people needed the priests. If you didn't have a priest in the Old Testament, um, you were essentially facing God's judgment like the rest of mankind. But if the priests did their job uh, if they made the sacrifices on your behalf, well then, instead of facing God's judgment, you faced his blessing. You were allowed to be brought into his people. So this mighty king of Psalm 110 is also a priest. Uh, but he is no ordinary priest. And we, get, we get two things uh, in, in verse 4 that are a bit unusual about this priest that stand, make him stand out uh, from the crowd. Firstly, um, he is in the order of Melchizedek. Now, I don't know how awake you are, but who, who on earth is Melchizedek? Um, we, uh, he's only mentioned one other time in the whole of the Old Testament. Uh, we get a whole three verses about him in Genesis chapter 14. Back in Genesis, um, he's described as the priest of God most high. It's a bit strange that Melchizedek is a priest in Genesis 14 because there aren't really any priests yet. There's no temple, um, there's, no, uh, there's no Mosaic law, there's no, there are no sort of official priests, and yet Melchizedek is described as a priest of God Most High. And Melchizedek sort of appears out of nowhere um, uh, before Abram, who will become Abraham, and blesses uh, Abram on his way. And Abram must think he's a pretty big deal because Abram gives him a tenth of everything he has, uh, just hands it over uh, to this, this mysterious character, Melchizedek. And that's, that's basically it. Apart from this verse in Psalm 110, that's all we get about Melchizedek in the whole Old Testament. Um, until you get to the New Testament book of Hebrews, um, he's picked up again. Uh, he's the character, he is one of the characters that, that show us something about the Lord Jesus. So in Hebrews uh, 5 to 7, Melchizedek is basically um, uh, better than all the regular priests. He's better than them because he wasn't descended from Levi. All the other priests, they come from Levi. Melchizedek sort of stands on his own. Um, he's, he's not a priest by birth, uh, but, but by the appointment of God. And even, Hebrews will say, he is, better, he is greater than Abraham because Abraham gives him a tenth of everything he has. 
um, I, I don't want to push the, the Lion King illustrations too far, but, but he's a little bit like, this Melchizedek character is a little bit like Rafiki uh, in, in the Lion King. Run with me. Um, uh, he, he, he's clearly a very important character. You know, opening scene, he's the one who picks up the king and, ah, singing. I'll, I'll not sing it to you much as I want to. Um, he, is, he, he sort of moves the plot along. He's the one that, that sort of knows about everything. He's the one that knows Simba's alive before anybody else does. Um, uh, uh, he's, he's there at all the key moments moving the plot along. And yet he is a little bit mysterious. Um, he sort of lives in his tree and only emerges every now and then. And um, you're not quite sure how he knows what he knows. Um, Melchizedek is that sort of character. They're not exactly the same, but they are similar in that very important, but, but a bit mysterious. The point, um, let's come back to Psalm 110. The point in Psalm 110 is this, that the priest described in Psalm 110 is a bit like Melchizedek, in that he is no ordinary priest. Um, he is priest plus plus. So this priest is, is a bit like Melchizedek. That's the first thing that's unusual. The second thing that's unusual about this priest is that he is a priest forever. Every other priest um, was, was only temporary. Um, they, they did their time, they clocked on in the morning, and they worked their shift, they clocked on at the, off at the end of the day and someone else uh, clocked on. And they probably had summer holidays, they would come back from work uh, refreshed for the autumn. They would have worked however many years and, and then they would have uh, retired and had a nice uh, retirement out in the countryside in Israel somewhere. They were only ever temporary. But this king, this priest, sorry, is different, isn't he? He is a priest forever. He will always be representing his people before God, and he will always be bringing his people to God. God will always listen to this priest. God will always accept this priest's sacrifice And a, a priest who is a priest forever, well, that's a priest you can have confidence in, isn't it? He is not going to let you down. And he's not going to have an off day. He's not going to forget. He will always get the job done. His sacrifice will always be accepted by God on your behalf. So that even though you would face God's judgment on your own, you instead receive God's blessing because of the work of this priest. This is the priest you want to go to when life gets tough. This is the priest who will care for you and never leave you. So I don't know if, you, if you've come to church this morning just feeling burdened and weary. And maybe it was just a, a real struggle even just to make it out the door. Well, this is the priest who draws alongside and who cares for you. If you come to church this morning, particularly aware of your, your sin and the burden of sin, well, this is the priest who can give you total confidence that that sin is dealt with because he has dealt with it, that you are forgiven, that God will not hold that against you anymore, that when God comes as the mighty king, you will not face his judgment, but his blessing. 
the puzzle of, of Psalm 110 um, before Jesus comes is, is how on earth can one person be both the mighty king who rules in the way he does in Psalm 110 and the priest who gets alongside people and brings them to God? They, they seem such polar opposites, don't they? Um, Character-wise, role. Um, and, and throughout the whole of the Old Testament, it is a, it's a bit sort of mysterious. Um, who will fulfill this? I mean, in Israel, they had plenty of kings, uh, good and bad, but none of them was, none of them was a priest. Um, they had plenty of priests, uh, but none of them had the authority of this figure. Until, of course, the Lord Jesus steps on to the pages of history. What had been a, a mystery, um, almost a, a contradiction, now becomes crystal clear in his life and work. See, Jesus is the only one who can, who can hold that seeming tension of the mighty king who will rule and the priest who will bring us to God. Jesus is the one who, who had the authority of a king um, in his earthly ministry, um, who, who commanded the wind and waves uh, and they obeyed him, who drove out demons, who called men and women to leave everything uh, to come and follow him. But the king who also drew alongside people, uh, drew alongside the weak, had compassion on those who were downtrodden. Just think about the cross for a moment where, where Jesus defeats uh, the great enemies of sin and death. But he does that by bearing the sin of the people, offering himself and rising to new life as the victorious king. Think that Jesus is now ascended to the right hand of God with all authority and power at his disposal. And yet, how does he use that position? He used it to intercede, to pray for you and for me. Jesus will come again in glory uh, to judge uh, the living and the dead. On that day, we will see him as the king of glory in all his splendor, a day that will be truly terrifying. But it is also a day in which God will rescue um, his people. He will take his people to live with him forever. Jesus is the mighty king and the eternal priest of Psalm 110. That is, that is such good news uh, for those of us who trust in him this morning. As we read Psalm 110, we are left in awe that Jesus can be both this king and this priest. He is the mighty king who will crush his enemies, but also the eternal priest who will bring us to God. He is the one who, because he stands for us, we will not face God's judgment, but receive God's eternal blessing. So I think if Jesus walked through the door this morning, I think we would fall down in front of him as our great king. But I think we would also embrace him as our closest friend, So as we, as we conclude uh, this morning, just two, two challenges, two questions to go away with. 
um, as, as we reflect on Psalm 110. Will you bow before this king? This king who has such authority. Authority over everything, the whole universe. Authority over every single part of your life and mine. Not just a part of it, but all of it. Will you bow before that king? But similarly, will you let this priest serve you? Will you let him offer uh, acceptable sacrifices to God? That mean that you will not face his judgment, but his blessing. Who, who continues to have the power to deal with every sin uh, that you face. Will you bow before this king? But will you let this great priest serve you? Let's pray together. Our God in heaven, we praise you that the Lord Jesus is the mighty king. That his rule extends to the ends of the earth and beyond. Father, we praise you that his judgment will be just and good when he comes again in glory. Father, we praise you that as we battle now against sin and the struggles of this life, that we know we have a great king. That victory is certain, Lord, but we praise you as well that the Lord Jesus is our eternal priest. He is the one who offers what, the sacrifice that is required. That means that we do not have to fear standing before that king. Father, please help us to worship rightly the Lord Jesus for all that he is, for all that he has done for us. In his name we pray. Amen.